0: All right, if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. The Gospel of John, chapter number 1. This will be the first passage of Scripture that we're going to look at here this morning, the Gospel of John chapter 1. I'd just like to kind of read a little bit from two different news articles that we had in our local paper uh, several years ago. They were within one week's time, or excuse me, one month's time, so I clipped them out and I thought this would be interesting to use as a sermon illustration someday down the road. It was interesting that they came so close together. The first uh, title of this uh, news article is, Serpent Handling Pastor Dies of Rattlesnake Bite. (laughs) Yeah, you you heard that correctly. Mark Wolford, a flamboyant Pentecostal pastor from West Virginia, is a serpent handling preacher. Wolford, who had turned 44 years old the previous day, was bitten by a rattlesnake he had owned for years. He died late Sunday evening, the article says. He was known all over Appalachia for a daring man of conviction. He believed that the Bible mandates that Christians handle serpents, listen to this next phrase, to test their faith in God. And that if they are bitten, they trust that God alone will heal them. The article continues on and he says, I promise the Lord that I do everything in my power to keep the faith going, he had said, of course, before he died. And then uh, here's another news article, it's about a month later, uh, 21 people burned during a walk on hot coals. Uh, So San Francisco, California, fire officials said 21 people at an event hosted by motivational speaker Tony Robbins suffered burns while walking across hot coals and three of the injured were treated in hospitals. The injuries took place on Thursday during the first day of a four-day event at the San Jose Convention Center called Unleash the Power Within. Most of those hurt had second and third-degree burns, said San Jose Fire Department Captain Reggie Williams. Walking across hot coals on lanes measuring 10 feet long and heated between 1,200 and 2,000 degrees, provides attendants an opportunity to, quote, understand that there is absolutely nothing you can't overcome, according to the motivational Speakers website. Participant Shahir Mahdi said attendants were warned that they might get burns or blisters. <laughs> the intention of the event is to get your focus and your attention away from that and in to look into the power within yourself. Now those articles, of course, we'd say, wow, where are they coming from? Is this the true test of faith? That you have to do something unordinary, perhaps out of the ordinary? Is this really going to prove whether you have faith in God if you're willing to handle serpents or walk on coals? Where is the test of our faith? Where is that found? Are you any less faithful because you don't do any of these uh, unusual situations? My friends, there are times in our life when we are tempted to even doubt or question things that perhaps we were taught all of our lives. Sometimes we wonder if this is all true after all. And in the privacy of our own thoughts and hearts, perhaps we would say at different times of battle and temptation, I wonder if the Buddhists are right, or maybe the Muslims, or or maybe perhaps even the atheists. And maybe you've struggled with some of these issues in your life recently or perhaps in the distant past. If you question God in the end, maybe perhaps even the Bible, does this mean you don't love God anymore? Or does this mean that you have abandoned Christianity? No, I don't think so, my friends. Every Christian will face times of intense satanic attack and even times included in that of doubt where you will question, do I really believe this? Oh, I know what I've been taught. Many of you have had the privilege of growing up in a Bible-preaching church and maybe Bible-believing parents, and now you're in a Bible-preaching college, and you've been taught and trained all the wonderful truths of the Bible and the foundations of the faith. But sometimes there comes a time in your life you say, is this what I truly believe? Is this my theology? Not just mom and dad's theology. Is this what I believe? It's important that we realize that Satan wants to discourage and defeat us. Do you know, we read about the doubting Thomas, and we call him doubting Thomas because there he was, and he wasn't present in the upper room, and and finally he doubts whether the Lord had resurrected from the dead or not. And sometimes we get down on Thomas, oh, he should have believed, but do we not sometimes find confidence and faith like, wow, it's not just me? If somebody who had been with Jesus for three and a half years can go through a short period of time where he questions and doubts, and yet God would later on use Thomas in a great way, then maybe there's hope for me too. My friends, we're going to look at this morning here a very godly man, a man who even Jesus Christ said was the greatest of all prophets And he went through a time in his life where he doubted, and we'll see what he did to overcome that doubt. We'll be looking at John the Baptist. What a great man he is, and what a great example to us. And I want us to understand, and you've already known this, a godly man. We're not talking about a baby Christian, or maybe perhaps somebody who's just a little familiar with the faith. A great godly hero and a warrior, if you will, for the cause of Christ. And yet he went through that time of doubt and uncertainty. And what did, he, what did he do to overcome these fears and doubts? We're going to look here in John chapter 1, get some background in here to John the Baptist, and then we're going to see this trial that he went through. So I'd like us to say, first of all notice John's mission. Now John the Baptist was told his mission from his godly father and Levite priest Zacharias. You're probably familiar with Luke chapter 1 when Zacharias was there in the temple burning incense and the angel would appear to him and said that he would have a son, they'd call his name John, and he would be the forerunner of Christ. I believe it's easy for us to assume that growing up, Zacharias would say, now John, God's called you to a special mission. You will be the forerunner of Christ and this is what you're to do. You're to walk with God. You're to be a man of God. You will be the one in history that will point to Christ. Can you imagine... Reading in the scriptures about yourself? Could not that Levite priest unravel all those scrolls and say, look here at Isaiah 43. This is you, son. You will be that voice crying in the wilderness. You will be the one. So likely John the Baptist grew up knowing, I have a mission. I have a mission to accomplish. Likely he had memorized these passages He would be the messenger that would come in the spirit of Elijah. Notice John chapter 1, beginning of verse number 19. The Bible says, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And notice also, if you will, verse 27 He it is who's coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Now, when these Pharisees came to ask John, Are you the one? Are you the expected Messiah? Oh, no, 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 not me. I'm just the one crying in the wilderness. He quotes the scripture knowing his role and his mission, and he will point to Christ. Good job, John. Even though John grew up with his second cousin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus Christ uh, because we realize that uh, his his mother Elizabeth was six months pregnant, then Mary finds out. So he was a contemporary, if you will. We're not sure how often they got together, but here you have the second cousin, and he's not pointing to himself. He's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. John will make a very bold statement. Look at verse number 29 and 30. The Bible says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man that is which is preferred before me, for he was before me. John knew that Jesus had preexisted that, that virgin birth. And so he realized, behold the Lamb of God. Now, at that point, everybody's coming to John and wondering, wow, this unusual, he preaches different, his different ministry, is he the Messiah? And he makes this very public statement. And I would assume that he points and gestures Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. What a great mission that he would actively point people to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 35 of the same chapter. And the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Once again, publicly declaring his mission to point to Christ. And you know what? When two of John's disciples leave John and go follow Jesus, John rejoices. It's not all about me. It's about Christ. Follow him. My job is just to point people to Christ. So when two of John's disciples will follow Jesus, John is thrilled. Even in John chapter 3 and verse 30, Jesus would say, He must increase, but I must decrease. John understood his mission. But we also, as we're kind of getting some background here, we're going to notice John's character. So John stood against the religious leaders of the day. We're not going to take time to look, but in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist will sharply rebuke the Pharisees that come to his baptism. They come maybe perhaps out of curiosity to see what's going on, to maybe inspect, to see what the other people are hearing. And John, in his compassion and love for the truth, will sharply rebuke the Pharisees, calling them the generation of vipers, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Now, John wasn't, I think, in bitterness or anger. I believe that John was burdened for these Pharisees. He realized that they needed a wake-up call. It wasn't just, oh, come on, guys, you should see this. They needed somebody to kind of shake them and rattle them and say, you're going down the wrong path. Bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. John had a very different kind of ministry than the Pharisees and scribes. He, of course, dressed differently. He, of course, preached differently. And therefore, when he had the power of God... The people of all Judea realized there is something different about that man. We're going to go out into the wilderness area. We want to hear him preach. And there, perhaps some of them maybe even enjoyed him rebuking the Pharisees. I mean, secretly, can't you see that? (laughs) Give it to him, John. Hypocrites, go ahead and tell them, John. But there he was, and he was preaching very differently. He came dressed differently. He had the power of God on his life. We see John's character. Now, we do not have recorded in scriptures that John the Baptist performed any miracle. But he did come with a message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What a great message. He wanted to give the gospel to the people, to the Pharisees, anybody that would listen. He was a man of integrity and a man of character. As a matter of fact, he's such a man of character that even the Lord Jesus Christ will compliment him. Please turn to the gospel of Luke chapter number 7. Luke chapter number 7, we're done there in the gospel of John. Luke chapter number 7, we're going to look at verses 24 through 28. As we look at John's character, Luke chapter number 7, verse 24 and when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in the king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, my friends, the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 28 he himself said, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. You know, it's one thing if your friends compliment you and they say, oh, man, they're the nicest person I know, or they're the best athlete I know. Or maybe you make some other compliment about somebody. Well, you know what? That's based on my opinion, my little scope, you know, my little world that I live in. I haven't. If I say, my friend so-and-so here is the best athlete I know, okay, that's fine. But you know what? I haven't gone all over the whole United States and surveyed people. I haven't gone across the whole world. That's just my opinion from a small viewpoint about this person. But whenever the Lord Jesus Christ speaks, he knows everybody. He knows everything. And when Jesus Christ says that there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, we believe him. So we would say John the Baptist is a man of intense character and quality. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying this. Now, this is all laying foundation, my friends, okay? Because we're seeing what kind of person John is, his mission, his character, okay? So this is all foundation to the thrust of this message. Nobody would doubt John's godly character. Nobody would doubt him being a spiritual hero that we look up to. As a matter of fact, many people today are named John. I have a father who is named John. I have a brother who is named John. And it's a very common name. It's a great name that we you know, look to and say, wow, there's a lot of great people named John. And so therefore, uh, he's a hero. But my friends, there's another aspect of John the Baptist's life that I think we need to look at. So you notice thirdly here, John's trials. John the Baptist was put in prison. Turn to Luke chapter three, just a couple pages over. In Luke chapter number three, Notice what the Bible says in verse number 20. Luke chapter 3 and verse 20. Now just a short verse, but it mentions here, added yet this above all that he shut up John in prison. John the Baptist, you and I see is a godly hero, the greatest of all the prophets, is now put in prison. For doing what is right, Before, he had a very public ministry. People would come from all over Judea to hear him preach. He was able to influence and have an impact and share the gospel with the large crowds of people. But now his ministry is suddenly put into a different realm in a jail cell. Now, we're not told if he was the only one in that jail cell. But now your ministry has drastically changed. Wow. Wow. It's likely that the first century Roman jail cells were not like the jail cells in the United States of America. You know, today, you know, you know, we're going to put you in prison and we're going to give you cable TV and three meals a day and air conditioning and education and health care or whatever. It, likely, the first century jails were nothing like that. Dirty, dark, uh, lonely. So it would be easy to even assume that if you were to get food, you needed somebody on the outside to bring it to you. Paul the Apostle had some people that had to bring him different things because maybe the Roman government didn't feel obligated to feed criminals. So if you were to have food, somebody's going to have to bring it in. So here is John the Baptist, and his ministry went from a very public ministry to a very isolated jail cell. How discouraging that must have been. He wasn't arrested for stealing or uh, usurping the Roman authority. He was arrested for... Uh, He had preached uh, against Herod and his wickedness, and therefore he was put in the jail. Now, John the Baptist is about 30 years old, because he's about six months older than the Lord Jesus. We're told that Jesus began his earthly ministry at 30, and now it's drastically changed for him. Maybe perhaps as a human like you and I, John would wonder, am I going to get out of here? Am I going to be able to go out and preach to the big crowds like I did before? What's going to happen next? Is Jesus going to come visit me? Where do I go from here? My friend, Satan loves seeing isolated Christians. He likes seeing Christians that have been removed and now are isolated. Perhaps they're away from their congregation and he wants to take advantage of this. Now, Satan doesn't know everything. Only God knows everything. Satan doesn't know the future, okay? But as him and his demons, they would watch and observe us. They can learn a lot about us. I mean, if I followed you around for three weeks with a clipboard and I just took notes, what makes you happy? What makes you sad? Uh, what kind of uh, friends do you have? What kind of food do you enjoy? I could probably figure you out just as a human following you around. Well, if the, the devil and his cohorts are following us around, they could pretty much guess uh, things that are going on in our lives. And Satan will often see a believer who is now being isolated from the congregation, maybe during times even of sickness. And maybe perhaps you had to stay home and maybe you're in a hospital and he sees at times that maybe you're suffering spiritual weakness, okay? Uh, maybe perhaps you're not thinking straight, you're confused, or maybe you're on a ventilator and you're not getting the scriptures and, and through no fault of your own, there you are maybe in a hospital room and now everything in your schedule has been changed. Satan sees this. Sometimes uh, through sickness, we are missing church. We're missing Bible reading. Missing Christian fellowship. And Satan sees us. You're facing financial hardship. Maybe you've been offended or hurt by somebody in the church. And now you begin to isolate yourself and you're extracting yourself from the body of Christ. Satan will move in and see that opportunity. It's kind of like a lion. Hunting for a zebra, so there the lion is uh, going along, and he's he sees look down and maybe on this valley, and he sees a herd of zebra feeding there in the field, and so the lion will stay there in the tall grass. And he's not going to run and charge. He'll stay there in tall grass and he's kind of surveying, looking at all the the different zebra in the herd. And and then he's going to pick one out. Maybe there's one that's kind of, he's still munching away over here and the rest of the crowd is moving along. And and maybe perhaps he's not paying attention to everyone else. And and all of a sudden that lion will decide, that's the one. Got my eyes on him. And when he decides, bow, he'll take off from that tall grass and he'll run. Now the rest of the herd they don't know if they're the ones that was selected, but they're going to run for their lives. The whole herd is running frantically when they sense that a lion has come. They don't know if I'm the one, so they just run. Meanwhile, if that zebra's going to run this way or that way. It doesn't matter. He's got his eyes locked on him, and he's going to follow that zebra until he conquers that zebra. My friends, sometimes it's like that in your life. You're maybe isolated from church and maybe you've dropped off in your Bible reading and maybe perhaps your schedule's been upset or maybe sickness or whatever it may be and Satan sees you kind of wandering away and drifting. Now you're not as close to the Lord as you used to be and Satan will then pour on even more attacks than before. I believe he saw this opportunity with John the Baptist. There he is in his jail cell, locked up. His ministry has been put on hold. And now is the time for that lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour to move in on John the Baptist, the greatest prophet that Jesus had said. And so we see John's trials, but we also see John's doubting. Look at John, uh, Luke chapter 7, if you will. Turn back to Luke chapter 7. Fourthly, we see John's doubting. Luke chapter 7, verse 19 and 20. So here is John in Luke 7. He's arrested. He's in jail. His ministry has been brought to a sudden halt. Maybe some of his disciples are visiting him jail. Maybe they're not allowed to. Jesus is continuing his ministry. It's prospering. And here I am in this jail cell. Notice in Luke chapter 7, verse 19 and 20. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? How sad. The greatest of all the prophets, the man who previously had boldly said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, he says it publicly, is now even questioning if Jesus is the Messiah. Are you he that should come? Or are we looking for somebody else? How could such a godly man now struggle with doubts? Discouragement can often distort our thinking. Now, we don't have any control most of the time over our situations. Sometimes you lose your job. You know, the company doesn't need that many people anymore. You have no control over your health. Boy, wouldn't that be great if we could just always choose great health? That would be great, you know, but we don't have that choice either in our lives. So sometimes sickness or disease will come our way or accidents or financial hardship or maybe perhaps even grieving. You've lost a loved one or maybe other different tragedies in your life. We don't have control over our situations, my friends, but I'll tell you what, we ought to put our trust in the one who never changes, our God and our Savior, an anchor for the soul, steadfast and sure, because God never changes. My situation will change, but my God never changes And you need to have him as your anchor, your rock, your fortress, your high tower, so that when all these different things that come into your life will affect you emotionally, you will not let your thoughts be guided by your emotions, but by the truth of the word of God. That is where you're going to find your hope. So John, unfortunately, like another human, okay, he goes through times of difficulty. He's not bulletproof. He's not a superhuman that never faced temptation and doubt. He's just... Like you and I. And he goes through this time of doubting, so much so that he will have two of his disciples go and ask Jesus. Notice again, if you will, in verse number 19: And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? Imagine if you were one of these two disciples. How shocked you would be. How disappointing. Well, did, did I hear that right? Now, John, you, you are questioning if Jesus is the one that should come, the Messiah? And maybe they were too embarrassed to ask him, do we hear you right? You're now questioning the one that you said was the Lamb of God? Okay, we'll do our assignment. And what's interesting, as you look at verse number 20, And when the men were come unto him, they said, so we're just going to do a direct quote. They're like, like, we're not saying we believe this, Jesus. We're just asking you the question of John the Baptist. We're just the, the messengers, okay? So they say in verse 20, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Maybe John the Baptist, during this time of discouragement and doubting, thought, why doesn't Jesus free me from jail? Why doesn't he come visit me? We're not told if he did or not. Here I am in a jail cell and I didn't do anything wrong. But God had other plans. Every believer will experience attacks of doubt because we face an aggressive foe. We'll never be bulletproof of Satan's attacks. These fiery darts that will come. But how you handle these attacks will make a difference if you will thrive in your Christian life or wither. How you handle these attacks. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6 that we have the shield of faith whereby ye may be able to quench what? All the fiery darts of the wicked. Not just some of them, not just most of them. All the fiery darts of the wicked. How? With the shield of faith. Now, the fact that Satan attacks you with doubts does not mean that you have given up on your Christian faith. It does not mean that you don't love God anymore. It just means that you're going through a time of Satanic attack in your life. How will you respond to these attacks? You must respond correctly, or it will lead to spiritual compromise and disaster. Satan's easiest targets, I believe, are believers who do not have a regular Bible reading program. He's watching that zebra go away from the herd. Oh, I got so busy, I got so busy. You know what, my friends? Listen, do you know the the reason, the really bottom line reason why a born again believer does not read the Bible every day? I'll tell you, it's not important to him. That's the bottom line. Like it or not, love it or not, that's the truth. Because we make time for what's important to us, right? People are, hey, social media is important. They spent three hours on social media, but they didn't have three minutes to read the Bible because it's not important to you. You may say, well, I'm busy. I'm so busy, I don't have time. Then say, then pray this prayer. God, would you please rearrange my schedule so in such a way I will have time to read your word? I'll warn you, better buckle your seatbelt then. You know why we don't read God's word every day? It's not important to us. But we say, Hey, you know what? I ate breakfast today. I did this today. And Satan will see Christians that are wandering away from that daily source of truth, God's word. We'll see Christians that maybe occasionally attend church. Oh, they're there frequently, but they're not faithful. It's not important to them. Oh, a family gathering came up and, or maybe perhaps a, a ball game or, you know, just something different going on. It's just really not important to them. Something else was maybe more important to them. A dull prayer life. Oh, maybe perhaps they're still praying, and maybe even praying through a prayer list. Check, 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 check. You're God. I said this and I said this and I said this, but that's all it is. It's just routines and rituals. It's not a fellowship with God. Now answer this question to yourself. Did you meet with God today? I trust you did. that you can say, I met with God today. He spoke to me through his word. I spoke to him in prayer. And I realized, okay, I've been to Bible college. I realized, you know, you got early morning class. You got a lot of studies. You got all this. Don't justify and say, well, my devotions, my Bible reading is chapel. My friends, that should be on top of everything else. Don't deprive your walk with God. If you deprive your personal time with God while in Bible college, how do you expect to have the power of God in the ministry someday? The devil sees times of weakness in our lives and he wants to move in like that lion and attack during these times of weakness. And he'll attack when we are away from God's word, away from quality time in prayer with him. And then he will stir up thoughts of doubt. We see fifthly here, John's assurance. You're in Luke chapter seven, look at verse 21. And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Now, let me just back up here. I should have read verse 20 again to give you the context, okay? So John's disciples are asking Jesus two questions. It's a yes or no answer, okay? So verse 20, when the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? That's a yes or no answer. Or look we for another? Yes or no? Instead of Jesus giving a one-word answer, yes, I'm the one that came, Jesus does something far better. Instead of just giving a short answer, watch. So look at verse uh, 21 again. And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of the evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, go your way. And tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. I'm glad that Jesus doesn't just give them the short answer, yes and no, he says, watch. He'll perform all these miracles... And then he will reference Scripture. Going back to Isaiah and how there's liberty preached to the poor and all these different things. And so John the Baptist will make that connection, the testimonies of these miracles taking place, and the Lord Jesus Christ referring the Scriptures, that's the answer. That's where you're going to find out, is are you the one that should come? The two disciples, seeing the healing and hearing the preaching, Were they themselves convinced and proven that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that should come? Think of how excited they were. You know, if you and I were one of those two disciples and Jesus did all that, and he said, now go tell John the things you've seen and heard. Let's go. Come on. Let's take off and run. I can't wait to tell him. You know, John's been so discouraged lately in that jail cell, and now he's just been wondering about the Messiah. Let's go give him the great news. Let's go. And just to be able to excitedly tell John and give him that token of hope in that jail cell. It takes faith to believe in God and his word. Hebrews 11, 1. So now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. My friends, if this godly man, the greatest of all the prophets, had a time of doubt in his life to doubt the messianic authority of Jesus Christ, then you know what? There's going to be times in our lives that we're going to suffer doubt. How will you apply that? What will you do? The key will be how and when you respond to the attack. The do-nothing plan does not work. Did you hear that? The do-nothing plan does not work. As a pastor, I've met people that, you know, I've always struggled with this thing, or I always wondered about that, and they did nothing about it. They're waiting for maybe a lightning bolt to strike down, you know, or maybe a big billboard plastered up there. They're waiting for that. My friends, the do-nothing plan doesn't work, so get into the Bible and find the answers. We need to be frequent in our Bible study. Why do doubts arise? Why do people question the inspiration of scriptures? Why do people question some of the key doctrines of the faith? Is it because there's new evidence that proves otherwise? No. There's no new evidence. I remember years ago, I was counseling with a Bible college student studying for the ministry. And he shared with me in confidence. I kind of knew him. So we, were, we had a, a, a little relationship. And he said, you know what? I really struggled when I was at Bible college. Did the resurrection really happen? And he came to me and he said, I, I, he was too embarrassed to even share it with his pastor father. But he has questioned even the foundation of the Christian faith, the resurrection. Of course, as a friend, I come alongside of him and I say, listen, I believe what is happening in your life is the theology that you claim to believe is now becoming yours. It's no longer the theology of mom and dad or the theology of just your Bible preaching church. But during this time when you're away from mom and dad and here you're in a new environment, you are now saying, is this my theology? Do I believe these key doctrines of the faith? Not can I repeat back the right answer? Not do mom and dad believe me? Not was I taught this my whole life? But what do I believe? And in that time of soul searching, when you are trying to establish your own theology, my friends, go to the Bible. That sounds like a simple answer. But go to the Bible, that's where you will find the answers. Now, you may even be doubting maybe the inspiration of scriptures. Listen, my friends, you and I have run into people that say, well, you know, the Bible contradicts itself, and the Bible has errors connected. it." Listen, if the Bible did have errors or contradictions, the world would be screaming it in your face long before you were ever born. They would have been screaming it loud and hard every day before your great-great-grandparents were ever born. If there were contradictions in the Bible, you would see billboards all across our country. Hey, Christians, how about Hezekiah chapter 3, verse 4? Hey, Christians, how about... Now, I know that's not a book of the Bible, okay? But they'll be saying, hey, Christians, how about this? They'd have t-shirts out there. Hey, Christians, how about these passages of Scripture? They'd have all kinds of jewelry. If there was errors and contradictions in the Bible, you would have heard about it long before now. But usually, the people that have come to me and said, they say, Well, you know what? My neighbor's cousin had a friend who knew somebody who said that maybe perhaps the Bible has errors. And oftentimes, I talk and say, Can you show me? And nobody has ever yet shown me. It's easy to make these outlandish statements with no proof. Now, ladies, listen, it is not enough. For you to just say, well, I'll just follow my fiance, my uh, husband's theology. You know, he's going to be in full-time ministry and, and I may struggle with these things, but I'm just following him. God wants you to be convinced of his truth. Don't just be content to just say, well, I'm just following him. He may need you to reinforce him someday, encourage him. But you need to be convinced of your mind of Bible truths and Bible doctrine. I can think of three situations that maybe cause doubt to arise in the life of a godly Christian. First of all, satanic oppression. Now, of course, believers cannot be possessed. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us, but oppression coming from without these fiery darts. You know, the devil wants to trip us up every day, but are there not some times in our life where his attacks are more intense than others? Yes. Okay. Satanic oppression. The second situation that I often see in the lives of godly Christians doubting is unconfessed sin. Now, of course, we can never lose our salvation because that's not dependent on me. I'm kept by the power of God, Peter tells us. But when I want to live my life in sin and not get right with God, I will lose my joy and God's blessings in my life. And if you're going to stay in that condition, a loss of joy and God's blessings, you're going to begin to doubt many things in your life. The third scenario is a departure from the truth, a neglect of the Bible, the source of truth. Turn, if you will, in closing to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 28 to 30. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 28 to 30. Now, this is wisdom being personified, okay? But we could, uh, of course, apply this to God's word, God speaking to us. But Proverbs chapter 1, verse 28, Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. They would not listen to wisdom. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13, if you will. Proverbs 13 and verse 13. Proverbs 13, verse 13. Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. To despise means you look down on it. Like, that's not important. I see a candy wrapper laying on the ground. I don't say, oh, it's my lucky day. I found a candy wrapper. No, you despise, you look down on it. If you're going to despise God's word, like oh, not the Bible again. You know, it says, shall be destroyed. But he that feared the commandment shall be rewarded. Turn to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28. And verse number nine. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. My friends, the Bible is the answer. Don't let it sit on the shelf unopened and you're always wandering and doubting and uncertain about, you know, what do I really believe about this? What do I believe about? Open the Bible, the pages of Scripture. Search the Scriptures daily and find the truth and your assurance in this book that has never been proven wrong, that has always transformed lives. Find your hope in the Word of God. What's sad is many times today, people, instead of opening their Bibles to get that hope and assurance and to dispel the doubt, They'd rather go to all these blogs and posts. They want to talk to their friends who are just merely talking about the Bible and not taking the Bible at face value in context. Do you know what Paul the Apostle told Timothy about that? He told Timothy when Timothy was struggling there in the church at Ephesus and all these other things. Paul the Apostle, through inspiration, calls them vain janglings, riddles, old wise fables, endless genealogies. And he told Timothy, you avoid all that. They don't minister anything. They just minister questions with no answers. And he told Timothy, you study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so you may say, well, I got this post or this uh, blog or whatever, and it was getting me to question these uh, philosophy of ministry, these doctrines. What do you say about that? I believe Colossians 2.8, first part of the verse Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You can have victory over doubts, my friends. At this Bible college, we're just giving you the tools in your tool belt. But the Bible truth has to become yours someday. So as you wade through this, what do I really believe? I hope that you will use the word of God as your source of truth. And instead of just turning to everything else, go to the Bible and have that absolute confidence that you can serve God and that this is his word.